good to be with you, especially on Pentecost Sunday. And uh, I grew up in a church that um, was a good Bible teaching church, but it never spoke about the Holy Spirit. And uh, so coming to know um, the Holy Spirit as a baptizer in the Holy Spirit was a transforming thing in my life. So I really encourage you, uh, just really hunger and thirst and seek after the Holy Spirit. If you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, do that. It will transform your walk with God. As uh, Pastor Frosty said, we're in the second one. And uh, Jesus throughout his life gave some short teachings um, and uh, the Sermon on the Mount, though, is different than the other teachings that he gave. This is a set message that he gave right at the very beginning of his ministry and is the only one that we have recorded in Scripture. And so he must have considered that it was really, really important. And uh, this is the one who came from heaven, the eternal word, the word made flesh, uh, the source of all wisdom and knowledge, the mind of Christ. And he brings this set sermon uh, to us and he starts with blessings. Now remember the last verse of the Old Testament, uh, it uh, speaks of a curse. And so Jesus, he opens up with this sermon uh, at the beginning of his ministry and he starts with blessings. And uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And so it goes on. I won't read a whole lot. And so Jesus' sermon, it covers uh, from chapters 5 to 7 in Matthew's gospel. And uh, at verse uh, chapter 7 and verse 28, uh, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. And so the religious leaders of the day, uh, they thought they had a righteousness uh, before God based on religion and keeping laws. They thought they were a blessed people because they pleased God by keeping laws. And even today, the Jewish people, they very strongly uh, keep their laws. Uh, just before COVID, Marin and I, we went to Israel and um, we arrived a couple of days early before the rest of the tour party. And so we were in the hotel. We're on the, I think it was a Thursday and we're on about the 13th floor. When it came to the Saturday, we went down to go to breakfast. And uh, so we got on the lift on the 13th floor and uh, then it got to the 12th floor. The doors opened. Nobody was there. Okay. And so then we got to the 11th floor. The doors opened. Nobody was there. And uh, then we got, you know, to the 10th floor, open. It went like that all the way down from the 13th floor all the way down to the ground floor uh, where we were heading. And by the time we got to the bottom, I was getting really irritated about this. And so I went to the man at the desk. He was all dressed up in his uh, Jewish gear reading the scriptures. And I said, sir, there is something wrong with your lift. It is stopping at every, flo- every floor. He said, that's the Sabbath lift. They have programmed the lift so that it stops at every floor because you don't work on the Sabbath and by pushing the button, you were engaging electricity, which was regarded as work. And uh, so it was programmed to stop at every floor all the way down. See, Jesus comes along and he says, uh, being right with God, pleasing God, does not start with outward things uh, like keeping laws, but internally in the heart, that if you get the heart right, then everything else will follow. He says, if you do this, then you will be blessed. And some have translated this word blessed to say happy, but that's really only part of what it means. It means a whole lot more than just being happy. A magazine in America did a survey and they asked 52,000 Americans, what will it take to make you happy? 
And most of their answers said their happiness would depend upon circumstances and things instead of issues of the heart. And so, for example, they would say, uh, I will be happy when I get out of school. And then they would say, well, I'll be happy when I get a job. And then once they've got a job, well, then I'll be happy once I get married. And then once I got married, then I'll be happy once I get divorced. And... Uh, <laughs> And they said, I would be happy when I have children. And then right after they said that, they said, uh, when the kids leave home, then I'll be happy. And uh, then it says, when I'm able to retire, then I'll be happy. But the Bible teaches that true happiness, real Christian happiness, it's not a victim of circumstances. It's not something that you have done. It is something that you have within you. And uh, because of this, when your circumstances change, the devil can't take away the joy of the happiness that you have within you. See, some people, they think, oh, well, I'll, I'll change city or maybe I'll change country where people, well, I'll go to Australia and I'll make a fresh start in Australia. The problem is they take themselves and uh, so they take their problems with them. See, the most popular uh, misbelief about God in our Western version of Christianity is that God wants you to be happy. Above all else, God wants you to be happy. I would love with all of my heart to be able to tell you that above all, God wants you to be happy. See, the belief that above all, uh, that God wants you to be happy in your life, well, means that God never wanted any bad thing to happen in your life. Sadly, that's not true. If you believe that, then you start down a whole road of misbeliefs about God. Let me show you what I call the theology of happiness. If you believe that God's supreme goal is for your happiness, here's what eventually you will start to do. Number one, whatever makes me happy must be right, and whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. Number two, if we start to believe that discomfort, delay, risk, suffering, inconvenience, obstacles, these things cannot possibly be God's will. In other words, if something isn't going right, then I'm not in God's will or God is not working in my life. Then the third thing is that without knowing it, I begin to worship the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure and things. If I believe above all else God wants me to be happy, then one day I'll worship the gods of comfort, money, pleasure, pleasure and things. Because I think, wow, God is blessing me. I've got all this money. God is blessing me. This good thing's happened to me. God is blessing me. Here's the problem. When we believe that above all else God wants us happy, then suddenly we are forced to believe that God exists to serve us. We have to understand God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve God. See, if God is there to make me happy, then suddenly we replace, we reduce the great creator, the sustainer of the universe, the holy one, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. We re reduce them down to some sort of cosmic vending machine. If I put my money in the machine and press the button, I've done my part, and the machine must produce for me what I've put my money in, exactly what I've asked for. And literally without knowing it, this is what we do to God. We reduce them down to some kind of formula. Say, so God, I said my prayers, I went to church, 
I tried to do some good things. I tried not to do bad things. I put a little bit of money in the offering. I helped the old lady cross the road. Uh, I didn't run over my neighbor's cat. And, and uh, you know, I've done all of these good things, God. Therefore, my headache should go. The girl, the girl should go out with me. I should get the job. Therefore, I should get the dream house because I'm, I put some money in. I pressed the button. Therefore, God, you should do what uh, I want you to do. See, here's the tragedy of this misbelief. Many people end up walking away from God for completely wrong reasons because of wrong belief. They say things, well, I tried church, and it didn't make me any happier. And I tried religion, and that didn't work, and I tried the God thing. I even went to life group, and I read the Bible for a little while, but I still got cancer, and my kids are still rebellious, and I'm not doing anything. I'm not better off financially. I tried religion, and it didn't work. See, if you believe that God exists to make you happy, then when you're unhappy, it forces you to believe that somehow, in some way, God has failed you. But God didn't fail. We started off with a wrong belief, which led to a very dangerous place. Let me tell you right now, it would be if I believe that uh, God delights in your happiness, I believe in that. Just as any father delights in the happiness of their children, or any grandfather now we are, in, the, in, in their children. For example, if I watch my grandson play rugby and, and he runs through and he scores a winning try and he's really happy and, and I'm happy, but his happiness is not my greatest priority. If he scores a winning try and then he gets up and he badmouths the opposition, tells them what a bunch of useless so-and-sos they are, and, and then... I, I find that there's a deeper problem there that needs to be addressed. His happiness is not my greatest priority. See, many of us treat God like this. You know, he, he, we should be happy no matter what. God should bless us. We should be happy no matter what. And then we have a bad attitude to people and nothings don't just add up. God doesn't want us just to pursue happiness. God wants us to pursue him. And we don't pursue him for the for the byproduct of happiness we're not pursuing him so that we will get what we want we're pursuing him because who he is and that alone nothing else and so Jesus taught us that the source uh, to real and lasting happiness is here in what we call the Beatitudes he gives us eight characteristics of blessed people happiness is not based on happening happenings the blessed life is based on his goodness and on his presence. In fact, the Greek word that is translated here, blessed, is the word makarios, which means supremely blessed. Or it can literally be translated more than happy. God wants you to be more than happy. See, when God wants you blessed, it doesn't mean that you won't have a bad day. It doesn't mean that your kids won't fight. It doesn't mean that your car won't break down. It uh, doesn't mean that there's going to be times of mourning in your life. These things are going to happen. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I went to the funeral of one of our foundation members through the week and on Tuesday. And, and sure, it was a time of mourning, but it was also a time of celebration. Celebration of a life that loved God, served God, uh, amazing things in his life, how he blessed and encouraged other people. And now a life that is with the God that he loved and glorified in eternity in heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, what it means is that you'll experience the goodness of God in the middle of some of the difficulties of life. Your happiness and blessings are not based on this perfect 
pain-free life. God never promised that. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. That's the promise. In this world, you will have trouble. When we were kids, I don't know if you can get them now, do you? You used to have little promise boxes, and they used to have all these verses wound up in, in the promise box, and you had a little tweezers, and you'd pull one out, and they were all good verses. They all said positive things. This verse was not in there. You never found this one. In this world, you will have trouble. You know, that you never found it. That's a promise. But then he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, if you're looking for this pain-free, perfect life, and if we don't have it, then we start to blame God. And the reality is that God wants to be active in our pain-filled life. And because we are living in a sinful and, and broken world, we are affected by that. We cannot avoid that. What I'm talking about is trusting God when it hurts. I don't need to trust him in a promotion. I need to trust him in the downturn, in a layoff, in a crisis, in a problem, in a time of mourning. I need to trust him when I don't understand his method. I trust his outcome. And just because you're blessed doesn't mean that you're not going to have trials. Doesn't mean that you're not going to feel weak. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be storms in your life. In the middle of that storm, you can still be blessed. So what is a blessing? It's a supernatural peace of God that goes beyond your human ability to understand or even comprehend. It's the peace of God that will guard your heart and your mind and your soul in Christ Jesus. See, some of you, today, even today, you may be going through some uh, real struggles in your life. You, may be going in, you might be in the middle of a storm, something that is really, really difficult. But then in a moment... God can move in your life. God can move in your heart. And suddenly, in the middle of that storm, in the middle of that difficulty, you realize that I can trust him. Even though I'm in the middle of the storm, even though my heart is broken, uh, you're in the middle of it, you still can sense and feel the presence of God. You may be going through some trial in your life that it was your choice. You would never go through that trial. You would never choose to do what you're going through right now. But you just, you just feel, maybe I don't feel i got the strength to carry on, but there is something within you. There is an inner strength that you can't understand where it comes from, but it is in you. There is a sense of the presence of God. And even though you're going through this difficult struggle, there is a joy unspeakable that is within your heart, the presence of God. That's what the Bible calls it, this joy that wells up deep within. People say, how can you go through that? How can you survive such a difficulty and yet you still have such a place of calmness, such a place of peace, such a place of joy? You're like, it can only come from God. It can only come from God. See, those who are mature in Christ realize that you can actually rejoice in your suffering and your trials because you know that you're developing a perseverance as a result of it. James said in chapter 1 and verse 2 and 4, he said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. See, when you've been through enough trials, you begin to recognize, you begin to see, you know, that I wouldn't have chosen what I'm going through today. But I know that God is doing something in my life. I know that out of what I'm going through today, God will do something that will conform me into the image of Christ. Somehow through all of this, through all of the struggles, I'm going to be more Christ-like. I'm going to be more in his image. 
When I walked through this, I knew, I knew her more intimately. As I walked through this struggle, I knew her more faithfully. I knew him, I experienced his goodness in a way that I could never have experienced if it had been a good day, if life had been perfect. I found his goodness in a day I would not have chosen. It's the blessing of God. Let me give you just a couple of points as we wind up. First one is this. If you want God to bless you, you have to come empty. If you want God to bless you, you have to come empty. The key for being blessed is to come empty to God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, it is your nothingness that attracts God. It is that void. It's that vacuum. It's that, it's that abyss of need in your life that attracts God. It's not all your stuff. It's not your degrees, it's not your money, it's not your fancy house, it's not your self-sufficiency or anything like that. It's the void that is deep down within your soul that attracts God. You need to be empty enough to have a faith experience. Jesus needs to say to you, I need you to learn to walk with me, not just when you're walking on concrete, but when you're walking on water. There needs to be an emptiness in your soul. You need to be empty enough so that you've got God's full and undivided attention. Remember the story about the woman and the prophet said to her that uh, to bring some containers, but they had to be empty containers in order to get your miracle. Don't bring me half full containers. Don't bring me three quarter full containers. Don't bring me quarter full containers or anything like that. They have to be empty containers to be eligible. See, let me ask you today, are you empty enough? Are you really hungry enough? Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. Are you hungry enough today? If you've got one idea left, you're not empty enough. If you've got a plan B, you're not empty enough. If you've got a backup plan or a contingency plan or a plan C that if this one doesn't work, I'll go to that one or to that one, you're not empty enough. God says, I want you to bring to me vessels that are empty. See, God values the most not when you're full, not when you're overflowing, not when you've still got some sort of creative input and energy that, you, that God values the most when you are empty. And God wants to fill you up You've got to come empty. If you want God to bless you, you've got to come empty. If you want God to help you, you've got to come empty. If you want God to deliver you, you've got to come empty. If you want uh, God just to come and to meet you at that place of your point of need, you need to come with an openness, a brokenness before him, an emptiness before him. This widow woman, she picked up the pot and began to pour, and the oil began to flow. The interesting thing is that the oil flowed as long as she had empty containers. The oil flowed not on the capacity of the pot that she had. It flowed on the capacity of the emptiness that was in the containers. See, God wants to pour his blessing into us. But can we receive it? Or are we too full of other stuff that we're doing in our life? We don't receive the fullness of what God wants to do. We have to come empty. Second thing, if you want God to bless you, you have to change focus. In fact, in Psalm 37, verse 4, David said this. He said that we are to delight in the Lord, delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That word delight, it means to enjoy. It carries with that idea of being soft and being pliable before God. In other words, as we seek God, we enjoy God, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these other things will be added unto you. 
As we pursue God, we find that we're not just pursuing happiness, we're not just pursuing things in our life, but we're pursuing God, and, and we find that we're beginning to enjoy God, we're soft and we're pliable before Him. We find that all of a sudden this blessed life, it's not the perfect life, it's not the pain-free life, it's not something, it's something that is better than happiness, it is a joy unspeakable, it's a peace when I'm troubled, it's a supernatural strength when I feel completely weak, it's a supernatural life when I need a miracle. I'm enjoying God. I'm enjoying His will. His will becomes my will as I begin to seek Him in with everything I've got. And then the third thing I want to suggest today is this, that if you want God to bless you, you have to change your attitude. If you want God to bless you, you have to change your attitude. They say in flying that your attitude determines your altitude. It's like the plane, your attitude determines whether you go up, or your attitude determines whether you go down. It's an aviation term. I know nothing about planes, but I read that. And uh, it's true of us also, isn't it? Our attitude determines our altitude in life. See, has anyone told you that your attitude stinks? <laughs> I've probably been told it a few times, you know. We all have struggles. We all have issues, don't we? And sometimes our attitude is a big issue. And, and, and we need to be aware that our attitude will determine our altitude in life. The way that you conduct yourself is critical. It's a big, uh, crucial key in, in the direction that you take in your life. It's, it's a big key on how you achieve success in your life. It is like it's an inner motivation for what happens in your life. And so if you have a good attitude, it can get you anywhere. Uh, it'll affect your personal life, it'll correct you, uh, affect your career, it'll affect your health, it'll affect your relationship. It will determine your walk with God. What is your attitude like? It will point you in the direction that you're going to go in life. But I'd like to say that your beatitude determines your altitude. Your beatitude, these beatitudes that we're looking at, they determine your altitude. All the beatitudes are dealing with your inner life. They're dealing with your attitude towards God. They're dealing with your walk with God. So your attitude will determine your altitude. God wants to bless you. God wants you to be more than happy. That's what the, the meaning of it means. God wants you to tap into a goodness, a presence, a walk with Him. So you're not just struggling, you're not a victim of circumstances, you're not being tossed and turned by stuff that happens when pain comes into your life, when mourning comes into your life, uh, when an emptiness comes into your life. You're not tossed around by those things. But there's something that is within you, there's an attitude within, there's a be attitude within, that you uh, a relationship with God that you have, that you can go through those things and you can come out stronger than when you went into them. God wants to bless you. In fact, he says it in his word that no matter in what and in everything, God is working together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. No matter what you're going through today, no matter what struggle you might have today, no matter what difficulty, no matter what health issue, no matter what financial issue, God can work in your life and he can cause it to work together for good to those that love him. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, I just pray, oh God, this morning for folk here, Lord. Lord, in a room like this, we know that there are many that are going through some real struggles, some real difficulties. Lord, that are going to go back home to a, to a home that uh, is really, there's no sense of love, there's no sense of warmth, oh God, there's a struggle going on, maybe a financial struggle. But Father, you just want to walk with them in that journey. 
And Lord, and you can take them through that journey and bring them to a place of joy unspeakable, a place of inner peace, a place of calmness of knowing that God is with them. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.